Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-soda we dig into the things that we've been watching and reading recently. I'm Terry. And I am Mary Beth, and we're talking this week about uh, Truck Stop Sex Workers, a chainsaw anime, an anthology horror film, the conclusion of a trilogy, a slasher sequel, and slippery, slimy horror comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been waiting to talk about. Oh my! Sorry, that was really close. Something <laughs> fell over, and I was didn't realize how close my mouth was to the mic. And there was a lot of things going on there. But thank you guys all for bearing with me. <laughs> anyway. Oh man. Uh... <laughs> Where do we start? At a loss. Where do we start? Where do, Where do we, we start? start? Well, you know what? I want to hear about this anthology horror film. Okay. What is it? Well. I you have seen this as well. Oh, because we're talking, <laughs> guys. When I tell you that my brain is on running on fumes, I have never meant it more than I have in this moment. I forgot about what we recorded about two days ago. I'm useless right now. I'm so sorry. I'm useless. Yes, this is a VHS ninety nine. VHS ninety nine. <laughs> Which we've had, (laughs) well, we've had one guest on, and surprise, we're going to have a second guest on, on Monday, that did segments in here. And this movie is out as of today, when this episode is releasing. I think it came out the day before. I think it's 21st. I think it comes out Friday. Today. Oh, does it? Okay. Well, it's out. It's out, yeah. We're we're regardless of when. It's on Shudder. Watch that shit. (laughs) Go watch it, because I thought it was really good. I... Really loved it. And so, look, we all know I'm found footage crazy, et cetera, et cetera. What? Um, yeah, I know. It's very shocking. Um, I love... I haven't seen VHS Viral because I've heard not great things about it. So sometimes I when I hear bad either. things about things, I just don't 
waste my time with it. Sorry, guys, but here we are. But I've seen all the other ones, and I love them all. And I was excited for 99 because, like, you know, year before the Y2K, I'm a 90s, early 2000s kid. And they fucking nail the tone of 1999. Mm -hmm. All of the segments, like, really capture this, like, DIY, punk rock, angry, grungy, funny, but in a fucked up way, aesthetic. Yeah. So well. And while I don't think any one segment is as good as the Ratma segment from last year, um, I think that as a whole, this is a really cohesive bunch of, of short films that are wildly different, but also feel very similar in like tone, which surprised me. Yeah, I, this one feels less like, oh, there's like one standout you're going to want to see and the other ones are okay. Like they do, they really do feel like a cohesive unit where it's like, I think you need it. I have a harder, I had a harder time picking a favorite segment of this one than previously mm-hmm. because they all work so well together. And there is no framing narrative this time. It's basically just like, oh, you found it's, it's basically framed like, oh, you found an old tape with a bunch of things recorded on it and you're watching through that tape, which I think is really interesting. So I think another that's another, maybe another reason why it feels more cohesive. Like, and yeah. again, the tones that they all strike are so similar even though they all kind of made these in a vacuum from each other, they um, they all came together to like weirdly mind meld into like some very weird twisted horror comedy anthology because it's all got some kind of degree of comedy ish. Yeah, and uh, our guest that we're talking to on Monday after we stopped recording, and I wish we had gotten this on on recording, but we didn't. But we were talking, and I said I said that one of my favorite things about her segment was that it didn't have spiders in it. Because let me tell you, the uh, the segment in here, directed by Johannes Roberts, can go fuck itself right off into the sun. I did, in fact, all text Terry time codes of like, hey, uh, at this point is when the spiders come in, and it's not going to be fun for you. Like, these aren't fun spiders. These are, like, actual, like, nightmare spiders. So, like, be prepared <laughs> yeah and it was really funny because uh because you had texted me about this movie right before i was going to watch it and then also a uh, friend of the show el uh purpurina stitch uh had texted me about an episode of the midnight club and i was like oh my friends love me and they don't want me to like evaporate into nothingness we're just <laughs> trying to protect you from the spiders <laughs> You are, and I appreciate that. And when I talked about this with with our our guest on on Monday, unfortunately after we were recording, she said that those were actually real spiders that were crawling over her body, and she also does not like spiders. And I'm like, you could not. Listen, I will do a lot of things for money, but I won't do that. Okay, so you wouldn't. There is no amount of money you would let spiders crawl over you for. I honestly do not think so. Okay. I really do not. Like, I I mean... No, that's fair. I get it. Maybe, like, if someone's saying billion dollars, I might pause and think about it, but then I would have follow-up questions. Okay, that's fair. I respect that. Because, um... No, I get that. No no amount of money in the world is going to uh, help when your psyche is destroyed and evaporated. Yeah, you know, fair enough. <laughs> no amount of money can you have fix a billion the brain dollars, that has just like shattered but you are now... <laughs> that has just like I have been touched by so many little legs 
And you are now stuck in, in an asylum, you know, just babbling in, incoherently, which is probably what would happen to me. I'll be perfectly honest. They just, I cannot do it. But yeah, VH99, VH99, VHS99, check it out. And then VHS85 is coming out soon. Well, not soon, but I think probably next, next year. year. So uh-huh. get ready, folks. That It's that good Trains shit. are moving. Um, let's talk about truck stop sex workers. Okay. This is my biggest surprise of the year, everybody. I tweeted about this. Mm-hmm. This is... Oh, it took me a lot of digging to figure out what you were talking about. Because I was like, I'm going to I mean, I'm gonna text you. But then I was like, what is this movie that you're talking about? Because someone responded with a CL. And I was like, CL. And then I just, had to do some Just go to my letterbox. That's what I did. <laughs> sometimes... Okay. But listen, sometimes you're not very good about putting movies on there. <laughs> not Why to call you out. Why are you reading me like this? Like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Christ, I try my best. I love you. I love you. Anyway, (laughs) so this is, okay, this movie that I'm talking about is John Swab's film Candyland, which I saw at Grimfest, where I was a jury member. And this movie, so we, like, Dread Central ran the exclusive trailer for it, and we ran it because it was, like, super not safe for work. We were like, oh, people love it, like, love this shit. And I was like, Okay, the trailer is very, like, sex-forward, which is great, but, like, oh, God, it's another guy making a movie about sex workers. Like, it's going to be exploitative trash. Well, dear listener, I'm so glad to be wrong. Um, It was (laughs) not that at all. It was actually incredible. Okay. And... Did you say what it was called? Candyland, yes. Candyland. Okay. So, Candyland takes place um, at a truck stop that is nicknamed Candyland because it has really great sex workers who are young, who are clean, who, and so it's nicknamed Candyland. It has a, a reputation. And so there is a group of sex workers. Just women? Or? No. So three, there are three women and a man. So there is this group of four sex workers who, um, you know, are just, they're a found family of young people who are just trying to make ends meet and, you know, have sex with a lot of men. All of them have sex with men. There is no, like, they all have sex with men for money, but one of the couples mm-hmm. is a queer couple, a lesbian couple, um, because two of them are together and they pretend, they don't pretend, but like they're, they don't really go into like labels of sexuality. They actually kind of discuss this with the, with the male character who's played by um, Owen Campbell, who is in My Heart Can't Beat Unless You Tell You Do. Oh, yeah. And he's one of the best parts of this movie. He's incredible as a male sex worker. He's so good. He, he's a good actor. I could actor. talk about him forever because in this movie, he is incredible. So he talks about, he's like, yeah, I like to suck dick, but I also like having sex with women. So like, there's a lot of nuance here in terms of talking about sex work. And these sex workers are actually portrayed like, again, they're they're queer, but they don't try to put labels on it. They don't sexualize like those parts of their identities. And they're all about family and like looking at sex work not exploitatively, but as a job, as a way for these people to make ends meet. And yeah, it sucks, but it's a job. And so then Remy, who is a been kicked out of this religious cult, is taken under their wing because she ends up at the truck stop and she basically becomes part of their group and she becomes a sex worker. But Remy has some shit going on with her that is pretty fucked up. That is slowly revealed as the movie goes on. So Ooh, it's like this okay. very interesting tale about 
found family and sex work and a very nuanced portrayal of sex work, but it's also grindhouse exploitation slasher movie. Holy shit. Holy shit. And like, it's difficult because there is punishment of sex workers, but not in the way that you'd expect. Like it plays the expectations of what you think of like sex workers on screen and like violence against sex workers. There's also, this isn't really a spoiler, but it's it's a rough, it's like a rough moment. Um, Owen Campbell's character gets sexually assaulted and they show sexual assault against a male sex worker by a man. And I know that's not good. Like we don't, you know, the, nothing is good about sexual assault, but this is a movie, like this is one of the rare instances where you have like a sexual assault narrative about a man being assaulted by a man. And it's not treated as a joke. It's, it's, it's taken very seriously. And we don't see a lot of that. And like, that was one of the moments where I was like, okay, so this movie like, isn't fucking around. Like this movie is actually trying yeah. to tell a positive, like a, positive spin to not positive but like an a actually complex story about sex work and and really fucked up like it's really it's not gonna be for everyone i liked it a lot mm-hmm. it is not going to be for everyone it is very hard to watch there's a lot of like there's sexual assault there's a lot of murder in it it's a lot but if you like that shit it's it's way better than i thought it's not as like titillating as the trailer makes it out to be okay yeah, I, I want to see this. I want to see this really, really bad. It's really, really interesting. It's really interesting. I was really surprised at how much I liked it and how weird it gets. Like, someone breaks a priest's neck with her thighs that he's going down on her. It's incredible. It's incredible. Love to see that. So, yeah. That is... John Swab, come on the podcast. I mean... I have his email. Um... But yeah, so that's Candyland. So guys, keep an eye out for it. If you like kind of like grindhousey vibes, but also it's basically what how I would describe this movie is this is what 70s grindhouse exploitation horror can look like in tw- in 2022. We can okay. do it. This is how you do it the right way, I think. You can still make right. a fucked up good grindhouse exploitation movie, but you can also make it not that exploitation. You can be careful with the exploitation. And I love to see it. That's Candyland. I don't think it has a release date yet, but keep an eye out, y'all, because it's good. And it has distribution, so it will will come to at least to um, streaming or VOD. But then (laughs) let's talk about... Well, you know, let's talk about the slasher sequel first, and then we'll get into our discussion about the end of a trilogy after my thing. But let's talk about your slasher sequel first. And I think you said book, so I think I know what this is. Yes. So earlier, like what, about a month or so ago, I listened to um, Adam Caesar's Clown in a Cornfield and I raved about it. I loved it. And so immediately, the moment I was done with that, I started listening to Clown in a Cornfield 2, Friendo Lives. And I'm not going to dig too much into it because I don't want to spoil it for people who might not have listened to the first book, but I'm going to, so I'm going to talk very obliquely about what happens. So it's like a year after the massacre that happens in the first book. Mm -hmm. And we follow the survivors. Um, One of them is going away to school um, at college for the first year. Uh, Two of the other characters. There's, okay, there's a lot of queerness in this, which I loved. Um, There's a, it gets hinted at and then revealed towards the end of the first book that there's some queerness going on and it continues in this book and they introduce a character who is um i believe non-binary uh there's like so there's that there's a love story between 
um, two men and a third that there's some jealousy going on, but we're kind of following the characters that survived um, a year later. Suddenly, it, it, so what this book does really well, I'm trying to, I'm trying so hard to think about how to talk about this <laughs> without spoiling anything, but also there's so much really good, there's so many good things about this book. What this book does that is incredibly awesome is it takes the themes of that first book. The first book, because I didn't really talk about this too much on the, the first time, but the first book is about sort of like the idea of MAGA coming to a small town. And so there's oh. like the aspect of like generational divides and about what constitutes the going back to what certain people believe were the good old day kind of thing that was not necessarily happening to their liking. And that is sort of some of the conflict that is introduced in that one. Okay. This one is about fake news. It's about conspiracy theories. It's about the fact that these teens who have suffered immense loss and have basically been through what is comparable to a school shooting, um, are now not being believed. That there is a conspiracy con contingent out there that is making videos calling it a hoax. Oh, so it's, Alex, jo it's Alex Jones, Sandy Hook bullshit. It's Alex Jones. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's exactly, except in this case, the, the, the teens are, are actually the ones that they're saying are the perpetrators of the massacre and blaming it on. Uh, so, like, there is a lot. And so then all of a sudden clown shows up at, at the student that's away at college and tries to go on a shooting spree. Someone is in town attacking, and then all of a sudden, massive amounts of clowns descend on the town. What the Meanwhile, fuck? there's another... Yeah. And meanwhile, there's another clown that is, like, smells of, like, death that is moving through that might not be connected to them. You're not quite sure in the beginning. And it goes... Follows from there. And it is... This book is really good. This book is really special. Hell this book yeah. takes things okay. that I loved about the first one and ups the ante and really kind of digs into that social commentary. And it's scary. It's uh, intense. There's a lot of really great sequences in this. Uh, my only complaint is that I do think the ending kind of the final kind of climactic moment felt like a redo of the first book's kind of climactic moment. Okay. It felt very similar, um, just in a bigger scope. Mm. But uh, overall, this book was... This book was phenomenal. I loved it. I need to read them both. It's on my list. You do. I really want to. I just haven't. <laughs> I just haven't. But I want to. They sound so it's really good. good. And I think I said it without spoiling anything. I think, yeah, that was really impressive. And you've got me wanting to watch it or read it. And also, speaking of which, I listened listen to, to, the, to these okay. last two books. And um, same narrator for both of them. Uh, I'm going to pull up her name really quick because I, I can't remember. Jessie Velinsky is the narrator, and she is really good. Um, I think she's particularly really good in this. She knows how to read action to the point that you are like literally just listening to every word that comes out of her mouth because she just is able to dictate what is happening in with a lot of like intensity. Hell yeah. So really cool. good. But yeah, that's Clown in a Cornfield 2, Friendo Lives. I want to hear about this chance anime. I know what this is, but uh, I know some of my anime friends are, are really enjoying my it. My anime friends. Um, okay, so Chainsaw Man, the anime is finally out, and there's two episodes that have that have premiered, um, which I've watched on Crunchyroll. But Chainsaw Man, I'm so excited. You've probably seen this like on the internet. It is a man mm -hmm. who has a chainsaw for a head. Sometimes, like it's pretty much like what the title <laughs> okay. delivers. Wait. <laughs> I just love how you said that. It's a chainsaw for head. Sometimes. sometimes. I'm like, wait. So, sometimes he so, doesn't? Okay. So let's let's get into it. So Chainsaw <laughs> Man follows a, a boy named Denji. Down on his luck, 
his dad passed away and owed a lot of money to the Yakuza. And so Denji was basically tasked with paying off his dad's debt. Denji, we introduced a Denji after he has donated organs of his own to pay off the debt and does small jobs. And how it is just like not making any dent in his debt to the Yakuza. Just like a little, a little side note about the world that Denji lives in. There are things called devils in this okay. world. So there are things like the gun devil, which is in later episodes, or will be in later episodes. But there is a chainsaw devil. And the chainsaw devil is a little dog with a chainsaw nose. And his name is Pachita. And he's like a little cylinder who has a chainsaw on his face. And he and Denji are little are like best friends forever. Um, but when Denji gets absolutely fucked over by the Yakuza, uh, Pachita sacrifices his own little tiny life and merges with Denji. So, and he has a cord, now Denji has a cord in his chest, and when he pulls it, <laughs> this motherfucker becomes a chainsaw man! And so his head becomes a giant chainsaw, and the chainsaw blades come out of his arms, and then he can, like, fight devils and demons with his chainsaw body. Um, oh, wow. So he's a devil- Human, devil human hybrid and he fights with his chainsaw body um and it's all about how he's discovered by like a government agency who you know, it's always it's like the same anime it's like this animation uh-huh. like There's secret trope, government yeah. agency who is or not even secret like government agency who's all about trying to fight the devils they find him and they're like you come with us you're in debt to us forever because you're a freak of nature now and then he is learning how to be a devil hunter and fighting off the devils of the world um, I didn't think I would like it at first. I've, I've read part of the, the manga, so, because Steve is really, okay. Steve really likes it. So Steve, I'm a huge anime person, but Steve is a much bigger anime person, and he'll usually kind of, like, be my filter for what I, what I'll like. Denji, girl crazy. This, it's, like, very, very anime, and, like, all he wants to do before he dies is touch a girl's titties, and, like, a lot of his motivations are motivated by his dick. And so, like, it's uh-huh. it's quite it's questionable material. It's it's very anime. anime. I just need to warn everyone of this off the top. Like, it's one of those things that, as someone who loves anime, that I just kind of have to get over a lot of the time because it kind of just is part of the medium. Unfortunately, um, it's really gory. So, if <laughs> first episode's very gory. Second episode gives you some more context. And it's a little bit more like about him talking about boobs, but like it'll get progressively more <laughs> gnarly but because you know it's only the first two episodes but highly recommend even if you aren't an anime person give it a try what's it what's it on crunchyroll crunchyroll um okay. and you can i believe you can watch it for free with ads on crunchyroll i can't remember like oh, what okay. everyone's changed their models a million different times for yeah. but it's on crunchyroll um so check that out if you're looking for sounds wild anime. it's great it's gross very bloody because a lot of anime isn't that bloody, so it brings yeah. the gore really like a lot. Okay. So, ten out of ten. Hell yeah. Um, yeah. speaking of gore or lack thereof, let's talk about the end of a trilogy. Yeah. Um, we both. I mean, I think most, according to Twitter, I think everyone has seen it at this point. Halloween ends, which boy, 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 does it end. And, you know, normally I don't think we talk, we don't talk too often about things that we don't like on this podcast. Uh, and I'm not going to put words into Mary Beth's mouth, but I don't think that she enjoyed it either. What part? Yeah. I I don't understand. There's two things I don't understand. One, I don't understand this movie. And two, I don't understand 
the vitriol of people that are trying to defend this movie. Like, like what you like, don't like what you don't like. But the amount of people that are very, like, I hate to say it, Zack Snyder fanny about this movie is uh, a little ridiculous. Oh, I knew the fucking bullshit on Twitter was going to start as soon as it dropped. As soon as the reviews dropped from credit, like when the embargo was up, mm-hmm. I knew it was going to start. But the people that want to go to war for this movie, why? Like, like what you like. If you liked yeah, it, great. For, like, I don't care but... if you liked it. Like, I had a lovely conversation with Reina Cervantes, who's a writer and friend of the show. And she really liked it. And I didn't. She really liked it. And we it. had a great conversation about it. Like, I was like fascinating thank you for explaining it i understand i don't agree but i also understand why you liked it you know like normal fucking people having conversations about things they like and don't like but instead people are just like taking up their goddamn torches to like go to battle for halloween ends when i'm like but why like why is this the movie because it's not it's so so bad (laughs) it's so you know i'm wondering like if it's this this idea of the sort of like the big horror movies that fans grew up with, because like this conversation came up earlier this year with uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There were people that were viciously defending the movie online, and there were people that were viciously undefending the movie, attacking the movie <laughs> online. It's just like <laughs> that's my new favorite word. <laughs> Undefending. undefending how dare you undefend me hell yeah <laughs> um and then like the same thing with scream oh, and Jesus it just it, it feels like the dialogue around these movies that have like such a built-in fan base um it's just bound to get to talk toxic but here's the thing the line that made me like realize that i was not going to like this movie is this line when jamie lee curtis is talking to her daughter <laughs> Laurie Strode's talking to her daughter, daughter, and she wants her to find someone. And she says, "You need to." Granddaughter, her daughter, her daughter, dead. That's right. <laughs> That's right, granddaughter. And she's like, "You need to find some love that makes you want to rip off your top and show grief your fucking tits." And I'm like, "What?" But then notably throws what? pumpkin on the floor, and then it like is a close up of the pumpkin on the floor, and then it just like changes topic. You know, here's the thing. I think I think that uh, I do think that David Gordon Green basically remade the first three Halloween movies because you have Halloween and then Halloween two, the original one takes place the same night, just like continues the manas and ups the body count. And then Halloween three, Halloween three was a completely out of left field movie. And so what do we have here? We have Halloween. We have Halloween Kills that follows directly after and ups the body count in a Friday the 13th-esque way. And then we have this movie that just, like, drops Michael for most of the movie, drops Laurie for most of the movie, and is about a character that we don't know and don't really care about who's becoming Michael. So, and, like, again, like, he, and again, like, with each, and someone did this on Twitter, and I, I knew it was the, the Halloween 3 font when the title card for Halloween Ends popped up. Like, he even used the title card fonts. And it's like, mm-hmm. look, I understand you're doing these homages, and, like, I know that people appreciate them, but, like, I just, I don't think it's as clever as he's like, haha, see, I did it. And you're like, okay. But it's like, at least he's of the witch had the balls to, like, completely change it and not, like, kind of have Michael in it and, like, maybe 
hint at something supernatural and maybe not and not fully commit to any of the ideas it's trying to go for in any meaningful way and also has the worst dialogue like the dialogue the is dialogue so is this. so bad i'm like I could write better dialogue, probably. And I don't, I've never written a screenplay. And like, I don't want me to sound shitty. And I try not to be this mean about stuff, but like, it really, like, you have been given millions and millions of dollars by Blumhouse. And you are a bunch of white guys who have sat down to write a script, like, write this movie. And you just like forget how people but whip, interact, but mostly how women like exist. And like, David Gordon Green, which I didn't know this until recently, wrote like these intense dramas in the early 2000s when he first started mm-hmm. filmmaking. So yeah, obviously, like that man knows how to write characters, but you posted this. There's four writers credited on this movie. And I was like, and not one of them could figure out how to write a woman <laughs> or any kind of dialogue. And contrary to apparently popular belief online, I do know that an ampersand is different than an and. I do realize that an ampersand means they all wrote it together, whereas an and, the word A-N-D, means that someone came in and rewrote the script. I'm not dumb. I do realize that. (laughs) Also, guys, it doesn't matter. For writers, it's never a good idea. As someone who is a writer and not of scripts, but at the same time, four cooks in a script kitchen is a recipe for disaster. The end. That's all I have to say. matter if someone came in to write it again like it doesn't that, that's not that was not terry's point you goons like <laughs> yeah i will say positive note the music in this fucking rocks yes it does and like look i think that they were they were trying to do something interesting here in terms of they, like passing mm-hmm. on trauma and like what that looks like and i do like this idea of somebody who made a mistake and then being villainized and then becoming what people thought he was. Like, I do think that is an incredibly interesting idea, but they didn't do it. Like they, they shoehorned so much into this that they didn't, and they didn't commit to it either. Like, I think they just didn't fully commit to this idea at all. There's two things that, that like bothered me. Um, One is that it it felt like they were trying to, in a way, retcon Michael, like so you're comparing these two where like this kid has gone through immense trauma and he is a good kid. And then it shows the effects of this turning him into an outcast of society being bad. But we're like playing with him at the same time as we're talking about Michael. And I'm like, but Michael is not that Michael was a kid that was like from the very beginning, you know, Dr. Loomis has said he's just pure evil. And so we have that and you're trying to compare the two. And I don't think that works necessarily. If this was a different movie and you wanted to talk about um, how some kind of town pain, evilness can turn, can corrupt someone. Okay. I don't think that necessarily fits with this narrative that you've established over these movies. But if you also wanted to do this, then you really should have been thinking about this from the very beginning and had this character be in that first movie because at this point, they he and, and Andy's character, I can never I don't remember their names. Andy's character all of a sudden meet and within like a day, like literally twenty-four or forty-eight hours, they're ready to go run off with each other and they're deeply in love. And I get love at first sight, Burn but this it is all ridiculous. Down. I'll bring the match. I'll bring the match. <clears throat> like the the way that her character changes on a dime in this movie just because she's dickmatized, I guess, is like ridiculous. 
Yeah, I said dickmatized. I, that wasn't what I was making the face at, but I didn't enjoy that oh. word. Um, <laughs> it's it's just so reductive with her character, especially, and without like trying to interrogate her own, like interrogate her own experience with grief, and instead puts it in the frame or like the perspective of him and his trauma. Mm-hmm. And again, like he is the most well written character in this, which is he's again a male character who gets to kill people, and it's like. Guys, gets to have you kind of a... can't make it more obvious that you did not know what you were doing with these characters. And like, it's fascinating to see how it just does not feel like they had a plan for the three. And like, maybe they did. And maybe like a bunch of people got involved and fucked it up. Like, I know that this is very much a common occurrence in studio horror. It's like you, you exist with a, a ton of cooks in the kitchen. Like, I get that. I'm not like, I know this. But still, yikes are... I did appreciate the psychosexual imagery of the three men, um, the boy. I can't. I honestly can't remember his name, and I can't be asked to to even look it up. Holding on to some guy while Michael is like stabbing him with a knife. Oh like, God, yeah. You know what we talk about with knives and the idea of a phallic weapon, and th- this is Michael stabbing some man that is being held in a very like intimate way by the soon to be Michael, I'm like, I did appreciate that psychosexualness, but... They could have leaned into it more. There were so many things they could have leaned into more, but mm-hmm. I think they were also trying to, like, retcon kills. I feel like they just kind of forgot that ki- they were like, oh, yeah, we're just going to pretend that kills didn't happen. And I'm like, you gotta, you made your bed. You gotta lie in it. You can't do that. That's not allowed. You can't just pretend it didn't happen in a fucking trilogy. You can't do that. <laughs> I'm saying, no. I make the I make the rules. <laughs> <laughs> and I say stop it. Uh so that's uh that's Halloween ends. It ended. It did end. It did end. But with like the saddest little like whimper I've ever heard in my life. But then let's let's end this on a much happier note. Very positive. And my shirt note. is in fact a hint to the horror comedy that we are talking about. And by hint I mean just reveals it entirely it just reveals um, it then you wouldn't know that if you're a patron you wouldn't you wouldn't know but we are talking about the 2006 james gunn horror masterpiece masterpiece horror comedy my favorite movie one of my favorite really movies. one of my favorite movies what's slither this is a comfort watch for me i love this movie it's a- i love this movie so much i was a huge james gunn f- i've been oh, a huge okay. james gunn fan um for a very long time uh, in fact, back when Facebook was um, not like public figure focused, um, I was one of his friends. Like he was back in the day, like when he just had like a Facebook account. I we were we were Facebook friends, and oh. then he he transferred that into oh. a public account, and you know, because like he just like people would follow him, and they didn't really have that ability to to create you know public pages that people could follow. So he just friended people, and so I was James Gunn's friend on Facebook for the longest time. I love this man. I think he is very funny. I do think that some of the things that he has done in the past maybe haven't aged as well, but. I was right there with him growing up at the same time and going through that that same type of humor. But this movie is my favorite James Gunn movie. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's a movie I'll throw on any day to watch. I I love it so much. I love it too. I have I this is actually my first time watching it all the way through. <gasps> because I saw the I saw the end. So I the I Steve so it's one of Steve's favorites too. He loves Slither. 
And so he was mm-hmm. watching it one day just on TV, and I came in at the part where they find the woman in the barn. <laughs> I was like, what you watching? He's like, Slither. And so I sat down and watched the rest of it after that, but I didn't see the beat. Mind handing me a bit of that possum there. <laughs> so I really loved this. I loved what I saw, and like I was like, oh, well, I didn't miss that much in the beginning. I did. I should have <laughs> watched the beginning. But um, it's... You know, I was like, it's not going to age very well. It actually... There are some things, but it really didn't age. Like, well, content-wise, not terrible. Like, he didn't go super hard into, like, the 2006 humor as much as he could have, as as we have seen in some other movies. But also, like, the CGI in this movie is actually rather incredible for a 2006, like, kind of, like, an indie... Independent movie. movie. Like... It looks better than some CG that's happening out right now. And I'm like... It's wild. What? It's wild. Like, it's, like there's some iffy moments, but for oh, the most yeah. part... There's some. It looks But it good. is surprising. And the fucking practical effects. Michael Rooker... Mm. Oh, well, Michael Rooker in this movie, one, is disgusting, and I hate him. But two, but two he's disgusting in another oh. realm, and he just becomes a sticky, gross... Tentac- the moment when he's in bed and he, like, moves the cover and is like lasciviously patting the bed for starla to get into it it's like Ugh. this man is gross like he, he played that character is like this just gross man he played it so well and it's just it's got james gunn's little like raccoon hands all over it and i love that because i do also really enjoy james gunn he did um did he direct or did he write the scooby-doo movie he did something with the scooby oh he wrote the scooby-doo movies he did write the Scooby Doo movies, and I love. And he wrote um, Dawn of the Dead. Remake. Yes, like I love the Scooby Doo movies, and he mm-hmm. is very. You can tell that it's definitely like his his sense of humor. But I do just really enjoy him as a filmmaker. I think he's got a really like specific like vision as a director, which is really you know always awesome to see like such a specific kind of vision for what you're creating. And this was a directorial debut for him. Oh, yeah, that's this right. This was his first feature film. That's right. Feature Came out fucking swinging. Really did. With this, well, with a story about a meteor crashing to Earth, there's some blob. kind of... Yeah, it's like the blob in a small town, ta- in a small southern town. It is found by a one of the nasty guys in town who is played by Michael Rooker, who is married to Elizabeth... Grant Grant. What? A name. Who is married... I love that his name is Grant Grant. Grant Grant. Married to... There's this... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's just these little tiny moments that James Gunn is so good at. And the names, just Grant Grant. Like, it is such a, a throwaway thing, but it is so funny. It's just these little tiny pops of of creativity and individuality that I just love his movies. But I am no, so sorry. Okay. That just um, He's married to Starla Grant, who is played by Elizabeth Banks. Beautiful. Love, love her. her. And when, he, when she won't put out for him... He uh, goes to a bar, finds a friend, and is running in the woods, drunken with her, and they find this meteor, and um, it infects him, and he uh, there there goes the sluggy, nasty beginning of this movie, where he begins to turn into something gnarly and has a taste for meat and uh, animals. Meat. <laughs> <laughs> in the grocery store. Mm, meat. meat. <laughs> It's 
And then it becomes a celebration of like the eighties. It does. Like once okay, so it's like Night of the Creeps. It's like a it's got it's it's I feel like it's divided very much into two halves. Because it's like the first half you're getting all the characters and you're kind of like, oh shit, something is going on here. And then when they find the woman he is infected in the barn, I feel like that's when the movie turns into an all-out like gore fucking fest. It's a it's incredible. I, like once it starts, like it doesn't stop. Like people are the pacing is so good. And di- like and people die in fucking nasty ways. Like this is not a kind movie, but it's also Mm-mm. still really funny. And mm-hmm. I think he, I think there's something really interesting going on here with like you know making making fun of the South, but not being like look at all these fucking hicks. Like I think. Yeah. He play like there's one shot like Confederate flags outside. So and again, this is 2006. Confederate flags still had a bad connotation then, but you know in 2006 we weren't. We all know the context of crazy shit. Mm-hmm. But I think he plays it as like, yeah, this is a Southern hick town, but we're not going to treat them like stupid hicks, like a little bit, but not really. And I I like that because I think I'm getting so sick of like these tropes of like. Southern people are fucking stupid and like everything that happens to them is because they're dumb and hicks. And here it's like he plays that a tiny bit, but doesn't fall into like a ton of pits no. with those kinds of like easy, low hanging fruit jokes that are at the expense of other people. He's smarter than that, which I really like. And uh, I love I love the little the little sluggies. I think they're so <laughs> cute in a gross way. Yeah, on- they make noises. They're just they're so it's so cute. I think they're so cute. They're they're incredibly well made and they're just that kind of gross but cute vibe that I just I just I fuck with. I love it. Well, and I also think it's such an interesting this is me putting on my academic hat, but like I on okay. Everyone can laugh at me all you want. I know it's just a creature feature, but I also think it's a really interesting look at abuse and like the hold that mm. abusive men can have and like the and like, you know, this Michael Rooker is an abuser, very obvious from the beginning with his wife. And even as he becomes a whole other life form, he still thinks his wife belongs to him and still covets her, yep. like, property. So, like, even when he is in, like, his... <laughs> my favorite form, and he's, like, mo- going through the fields after the cow and kind of just, like, weirdly moving around. He's talking... Like, he's talking to her about, like, I... Like, talking to her, like, I didn't... Like, I didn't want to scare you, but also just, like, thinking, like, your mind kind of, like, mentality... And that that's ultimately his downfall at the end. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, mm-hmm. I think a really fascinating like little allegory there to like abusive men and the toxicity of them. But then also how he affected her and how she was like, I have to save my husband. And like, yeah. sure, you could be an asshole and be like, how could she do that? But at this other time, it's like she is someone who has been trained to behave this way. And again, I know it's a James Gunn horror comedy from 2006, and I might be thinking a little bit too hard about it, but here I am. I right. wouldn't be me without thinking a little bit too hard about gender politics. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I honestly, I, I I, think if someone were to just write this off, I don't. I think they're doing a disservice to James Gunn's writing, because I, I think he is a very sharp writer. I, I think that recently with um, Guardians of the Galaxy... To, I liked the first Guardians of the I Galaxy. Did I did not really care for the second one. Um, I feel like I can f- feel his influence through those movies a lot more than other directors. Like a lot of times, I feel directors get into that Marvel mass, and it just becomes 
everything looks the same and everything has a same similar beat. And I do feel that his movies still retain what I loved about early James Gunn work. Yes, maybe a little bit more sanitized, but still enough to have those moments of of sexual humor that I think is so funny. And he did that again with um, Suicide Squad, the, the, the sequel. Loved it. And like, did I see that? I did see that. I liked that quite a bit. But I also, it's like, I think this is the case for both him and Taika Waititi. I mean, whatever opinions you have about Taika mm. Waititi, but like, they hired two people who really know how to do comedy and have a very distinct voice. And I think mm-hmm. that's what's benefited them. I think a lot of people that they bring on to do Marvel stuff, this is not shady towards them, but like, they're not no. in comedy writing and they don't have this kind of experience in creating a voice like that. And I think because Gunn and TC have a lot of that experience I think they just because they have such a distinct POV and a really strong POV is when it comes to comedy they're able to make something that feels different from the yeah. rest of those universes and I really appreciate that because they, they do all blur together like and, and I mean mm-hmm. like I guess that is part of it is like they want to feel cohesive but at the same time it's like they get very repetitive so it's cool to have someone like Gunn in this universe well, both Marvel and DC, he just said, fuck it. Like, mm-hmm. and I love that. And he's just like, yeah, just like fuck around. It's all superheroes. Who cares? God, fucking Suicide Squad by James Gunn was so good. I, I was so surprised how much fun I had with that it's, stupid movie. <laughs> it's everything I love about him, though. Like the, the, the weird, quirky characters, Weasel, King Shark. Like, these are all just, the things that I love. The giant star. Like, that's the thing. He just... The giant starfish. for it. And he's just like, yeah, fuck it. Like, it's either go... It's like, he's like the epitome of go hard or go home. And Slither mm-hmm. is go hard or go home. Like, it just... Yeah. It's a pretty short movie. But he's able to, like, give you the context and establish these character... Like, these core characters pretty fast. And then gets right into just, like, the insane body horror 80s alien action. And it's, yeah. it's incredible. Well, and... I- and I think that that's kind of baked into his DNA because yeah. he got his start. His first script was for Troma. It was Tromeo oh, and that's Juliet right. from 96. So, like, he came up through that sort of school of, you know, DIY, have, like, offensive humor, have, like, this sort of, like, off-center approach to humor. Like, that is that is his bread and butter. And that was, like, his first writing assignment was that movie. So it's like... I don't know. I think that I think that even though maybe some of the edges have been kind of sanded off with with Marvel in that kind of area, I think that we're seeing someone that still has that edge to him. And I I don't know. I just love that. I just think he's I think he's really cool. And I love him. Me too. And I'm glad I I finally have like seen it all in one cohesive package because I fucking love it. And it's so it's gross, too. It's like a movie that like gross parts of it i was like "Ooh, i do feel a little bit nauseous watching this like oh my god it's like her especially and it ends with like a yeah and it ends with like a shunting yes, type with the... <laughs> them just kind of crawling into the slug's body and becoming one with it yeah amazing so yeah that <laughs> was slither from 2006 it's on peacock if you have peacock you can watch it with your subscription that's how i watched it so give it a it's a good halloween watch if you're looking for Mm -hmm. something to watch this halloween season um but then terry what uh are we doing next week for speaking of halloween watches (laughs) (laughs) so uh next week because um oh yeah (laughs) 
because we are, um, you know, there's there's something happening next weekend. And what the fuck? We're... That's next weekend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. So <laughs> we are doing things a little bit different, and we're going to talk a little bit about Halloween traditions and some like things to do with October, and then also kind of create our own Halloween night movie marathon. Yay! But who are we talking with on Monday, Mary? Beth? Oh my gosh! So on Monday we are talking with. Mag director Maggie Levin, who did films like My Valentine, but she most recently directed a segment in VHS 99 called Shredding. And the movie that we talked about with her was a movie that I had never heard of and was fucking bizarre. Very Bad Things from 1998 or 9. Yes, we sure did. 8, 98. 98. It's a very cool and fascinating conversation as we dig into a movie that is both very interesting and very toxic and she's just like a gem of a human so oh she's so wonderful um i i and just as a heads up there is like a little announcement at the very beginning of the episode that i just recorded because we do kind of dig into vhs 99 um her segment a little bit and we talk about kind of spoiler moments so i would recommend watching that this weekend on Shudder before you listen to our conversation or I'll we'll also put time codes hers is and the stuff. first one. Mm-hmm. So it's the very first one. If you one. only watch the first segment, then you'll be fine to listen to, to listen to the episode. So listeners, you have heard from us, but we want to hear from you. How, did you watch or read any of the things we talked about and have thoughts? Do you have suggestions for things that we should be watching or covering? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm a Gaily Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at scarredpodcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. And become a patron. And become a patron. If you are a patron at the $5 level or higher, you're probably watching this on Patreon as a video. And if you're not, ew. But become a patron. You can watch video versions of these and see our cool t-shirts and all the weird facial expressions I make. Um, you can get access. Mary Beth did some interpretive dancing. I did. You can get um, access to our monthly exclusive podcast episodes, Fresh Wounds. Be a patron. Thanks and please and thank you. Um, speaking of thank yous, thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, Terry, for laughing at my transition skills. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. <laughs> Until next time. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, 
I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.